welcome to the Proper Mental Podcast. Normalising open and honest conversations about mental health by having open and honest conversations about mental health. Welcome to the Proper Mental Podcast. Welcome back. If you've joined me before and if this is your first time listening, then just a straightforward welcome. But either way, very, very much appreciated. This is episode 58. And my guest this week is Natasha Naomi Ray. Natasha is an actress whose credits include Coronation Street, Emmerdale, Doctors, and all sorts of other British TV programs that you've probably heard of. She's also an author and she's published her own book, which is her story. It's called Me, Myself and Bipolar Brenda. And it's a collection of of journals all put together in kind of like an autobiography that tells her story and her life of living with her diagnosis of type 2 bipolar disorder. And it was off the back of the book that she launched the viral campaign hashtag speak out like Brenda, which encourages people to to speak their truth and talk openly and honestly about their experiences with mental illness and bipolar disorder. She's also an ambassador for Bipolar UK, and she's currently working on her own projects, which she's writing, producing and starring in her own things for TV and short films. And they're going to have mental illness and bipolar firmly at the centre. And that's kind of where our conversation starts. We talk about how mental illness and mental health in general is particularly portrayed in the media and how they don't always do a great job. And how that can lead to, I suppose, adding to the stigma and it can lead people to misunderstand these things. And I chat to Tasha about what she's writing, what she's working on and how she plans to change this. And that's fascinating. And I think it's really, really important if we need to get the mental health conversation into the mainstream, right? So we need to get it on telly. It's it's that simple. And if we want to shine a light on some of the less talked about aspects of mental illness, then getting more things on the screen is the way to go. We also talk about Tasha's life and growing up with her diagnosis of type 2 bipolar disorder. We talk about actually getting that diagnosis and the process of that and then what happened afterwards. We talk about how she manages that with her work and her life as a single parent. And we talk about loads of other stuff as well. Um, I really enjoyed this chat. Me and Tasha got on really, really well. She's one of those people that when you speak to her within like a couple of minutes, she has you so at ease in her company. It was just dead easy to um, just relax. And it was like chatting to a mate. And um, speaking of the word mate, she's the only person I've spoke to probably ever who uses the word mate as much as I do. So this is just essentially an hour of two people calling each other mate. Um, But something that me and Tasha have got in common is that we're both searchers and we both... Um, worked really hard to find things to help manage the stuff that's going on with us. And we talk a lot about that. And, you know, Tasha has a background in powerlifting. She does a lot of meditation, a lot of journaling. She practices a type of yoga called Kundalini yoga, which is um, it's quite an extreme spiritual practice. And that's really interesting to talk to as well. If you don't know anything about yoga, Kundalini is, is pretty out there, you know. So it's, uh, it was really interesting to get into that as well. It's a lovely conversation and Tasha is a lovely person. The stuff that she's writing and she's working on, I think is really important. And she really came across to me as, I suppose the best way to describe her is like a force of nature. You know, she's really passionate about this stuff. And she's the sort of person that if she says she's going to get something done, she's going to get it done. 
like you'd put your mortgage on it. And I'm really excited to see what she's coming up with because, yeah, it sounds really, really good. If you'd like to know more about Tasha, you can head to her website, which is me and bipolarbrenda.com or follow her on social media at me, myself and Bipolar Brenda. You can also read a little bit about her work as an ambassador for Bipolar UK and the amazing work that that organisation is doing if you go to bipoluk.org. And you can grab a copy of her book, Me, Myself and Bipolar Brenda, in all the usual places that you can grab copies of books from. If you want to get hold of me at Proper Mental Podcast on all social media platforms or www.propermentalpodcast.com. If you want to support the podcast financially, you can go to buymeacoffee.com slash propermental where you can buy me a virtual coffee. And that just gives me a couple of quid to keep the podcast ticking over. The best thing you can to do to support me if you've listened to this episode and enjoyed it or any other episodes, either in the past or in the future, is to rate and review. So you can go to Spotify, click the stars button. It takes two seconds and give me a five star rating or you can go to iTunes. You can do the same thing. And on iTunes, you can even leave me a lovely few words. It really, really makes a difference. That's everything you need to know from me. This is episode 58 of the Proper Mental Podcast with Natasha Naomi Ray. Thank you very much for listening. Enjoy. They can't. They think, well, that's that's not me. I'm not interested. So you want to get, you want to invite people in. It's got to sound fucking real, right? Couldn't agree, couldn't agree with you more. Mate, so we'll, uh, oh, we'll just dive dive in. Welcome to another episode of the Proper Mental Podcast. And my guest this week is Natasha Naomi Ray. How are you, mate? I'm good, yeah. I'm, I was all right. I had a bad day yesterday, um, but I'm up today. So, you know, I always say like, you know, if you can get up and you can brush your teeth and, you know, you can stretch your body out and stuff then if that's all you do that day then you've achieved something you know yesterday I didn't get out of bed till half 12 one o'clock not in a good way like you know everything was dark everything was just you know felt terrible and then by eight o'clock put a crew together rewrote a script and then went to bed and I was like oh you know sometimes I do feel like that sometimes it's not how you start it's how you finish um and that's That's how I am hate my days sometimes yeah I mean that's a really lovely way to looking at it because your brain doesn't care about like the 24-hour clock you know your brain doesn't give a shit what time it is right so me as well because I do obviously I'm in the like a creative field that is a that is a bit of a tricky thing for me as well because and creative people are a bit scatty anyway we you know we don't you know we'll just go oh actually I've got an idea at three o'clock in the morning right I'm gonna get up let me just I'm gonna write that (laughs) And then it's seven o'clock and you're like, oh, okay, let's just stay up, you know? Yeah, okay. that's it. Yeah. Is it, um, you mentioned when we were swapping a few emails to arrange this, you mentioned you're doing a lot of writing at the moment. Is that, what do you, do you mind if I ask what you're working on? Yeah, no, it, I, I actually, I'm dyslexic to fuck, mate. So if somebody would have said to me a few years ago, you'll start writing scripts um, and books, I would have been like, yeah, all right, mate. Um, I kind of fell into it, to be honest. Obviously I published the memoir, which technically wasn't me sitting down and writing a structured book. It was basically typing up journals from 10 years. Um, so when people just say, oh, you're, you know, you're an author now, he's like, no, not really. I've literally gone, yeah, hey, do you want to see my journals of what my chaotic life's been like for seven years, dealing with this, this thing in my brain and these shit relationships that I always keep myself in? Go on, have a look at that. Having no idea it was going to have the impact that it had, you know, 
um again didn't didn't set out for that um just kind of used it as a bit of a therapy tool and wanted you know if one person picked it up and they you know had a laugh out of it or it made them not feel as on their own then it has served its purpose and obviously it it went a lot further than that um so then it got a lot of production interest and um I got introduced to an agent um who was just basically meant to help me with a contract and that was that and um from a very good friend of mine and he was like I think you should write your own stuff and I went no mate I literally I actually I mean he's a really like big agent and he's really well spoken I mean I can I'm myself of him which is great but I nearly literally turned around first conversation with him I was like in my I said to him no mate definitely not don't write scripts in my head I was going fuck off <laughs> I'm like what um and then he was like, just write one scene out, you book one scene. And then, yeah, so this time last year I had no scripts. And now I've got four scripts um, that have been rewritten. One of them has been rewritten 21 times. Um, I've nearly finished my first novel, We Are What We Know. Um, and I've wrote a stage play as well. So, yeah, looking back at a year ago, I mean, it's it's a bit... But I am an all or nothing person, I think, and that's a scary thing for me because you kind of go, oh, am I just going to go like hell for leather with this and then quit? And, you know, because we're powerlifting, you know, I was all in with the powerlifting. Um, and my friends always worry about that, you know, because they'll be like, you'll spend like 18 hours a day writing and then you'll, you know, structure's really difficult for me. But, you know, writing, um, I think I've always said is grab hold of anything that gives you a bit of light, whether, you know, that is going to be going to the gym every single day or now for me at this moment in time in my life, it's writing, you know, I'm, I'm getting a lot out of it and I'm enjoying it. And I think, you know, while I'm enjoying it and while I'm, I'm, you know, getting a lot out of it, I'm going to keep doing it. And also I think it's taught me so many lessons of, um, it's not so much about product, but process, you know, in my industry, we're always striving to get to the end goal. But I mean, what is the end goal? You know, the BAFTA, the, the, you know, the green light, what, you know, what is the end goal? And when you get to that end goal, what's next? And, you know, nobody, it's really difficult with my condition and as human beings is to go, okay, let me just enjoy this process. You know, let me, and also who you becoming in that process, I think is so much more important than who you end up becoming when you've acquired what you want for me. And that's been a huge lesson for me this year through doing writing so I think it's made me become you know a better person trying to be a better person through the writing yeah oh mate that's lovely yeah because it is it is all about the journey and that process and quite often when we're on that journey it's only when you get halfway down it or some other way down that you realize that hang on a minute I might change the destination you know sometimes what we think we're trying to do you don't realize that that's not really the thing you want until you start working towards it. And that the beauty is in, is in the process, but society bombards us with all this stuff, isn't it? Like, you know, we have to, I suppose if you look at history is filled with people who got to the top of the, the very, very top and then had that whole what next, you know, you look at like Tyson Fury and people like that, you know, it's, it's exactly. the classic example, isn't it? Oh, of course. And I think it's, you know, a lot of young people now, you know, that I know of that are 24, 25, and they've literally blown up overnight. And I listened to a guy, um, he's great. Cause I have to listen to motivational stuff in the morning. And, um, you know, he says, um, don't let your talent take your places that your character can't sustain. And I'm just like, oh, that's pointing. That is, you know, because your people, 
are successful on the outside, but in the house, you know, they're a failure because it's they're not happy, you know, that it's crucifying them because they didn't allow the character to build them the strength to be able, you know, everyone's got talent, everyone, you know, but has everyone got the character to sustain and to be, you know, happy while you're doing it? Um, and that's I think again is is that process of that journey, like you say, with you know, Tyson, it it's you know, he, he fell. But, you know, that, I, I think that's, that is life. You're always going to fall back. You're never going to get up and stay up. I've learned that, you know. I've been yeah. up there and then back down there. And and the, uh, the acceptance is a huge thing, I think, with mental health, you know, yeah. and awareness. Yeah, definitely. The acceptance, that was huge for me in my own personal journey, was just stop trying to fight against it. And it is something that I think, you know, hopefully I'm sure will come up in this conversation a bit later, because something I really related to when I hear you talk about stuff, um, because you have a lot of processes, a lot of systems in your life that help you to manage your, um, your illness. You know, you do a lot of, a lot of things to help that. And I'm very, very similar, but for a long time before I had that acceptance, I was like, I was trying to wrestle my mental health. I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to get it in a headlock. I'm going to drag it to the ground. And I did all these like so-called wellness processes, but I did them so hard and so aggressively and that it, it doesn't work right I, I just got worse I was doing the wellness stuff yeah. Yeah, yeah. and getting worse and worse and worse but um yeah acceptance is it's a really big um a really big thing yeah just to stay with your script for a little bit is that are they um mental health and mental illness related Tash are you stay I mean obviously well? you know you write about what you know don't you um I think you know uh I, I do. I write, I write about what I know. I'm not going to go in and start writing a police drama um, about, you know, a middle class detective, for example, because, you know, I, that's, I'm not middle class. And also, um, you know, <laughs> my parts have been more inside the prison than, than outside uh, in real life as well as, well as, uh, as well as outside, thanks to bipolar. Um, yeah, yeah, the, the, the one that's been adapted from my book, it's actually called Being Tasha, but I've stayed away and because I'm co-writing it with a guy, a guy um, who's a lot more a lot more experienced than me. He's got a couple of BAFTAs under his belt and a few RTSs that he, you know, that just sit on a shelf and he's like, you know, been been in the game a lot longer than me. Um, but yeah, they are. Um, Being Tasha is adapted. I've called it Becoming Better now for a reason I'll explain because I teach the um, Living With Bipolar course for great Manchester mental health um so that is very much obviously basically a the, the actual um storyline of it is quite very simple to be honest um but it's the it's showing the reality basically of every day living with it in every day instead of showing um telling it we're showing it so we're just showing this young mother every single day and not being able to do things that other people would take for granted, like getting up, brushing your teeth, like going into Tesco, you know, um, and that's what we're basically doing with it. So that is very mental health. We are what we know um, was quite a personal thing for me because that that actually started when I lost the option with, a, with the book to be able to recreate that gap. And that then developed... I've always been very interested in why we are the way we are, whether you have got a mental health issue or you haven't, you know, um, we are what we know. I do believe that you you do become 
a product of your environment and your and your parents and I think our mission if you like in life is is not is to let go be to become who you choose to be um and that's my process with we are what we know and it that I believe that that story that I'm telling with that is 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 my growth of a story I probably won't finish that story maybe for another quite a long time because I feel like it's a journey but yeah they suffer with it he he has bipolar but it's undiagnosed um it's basically all these characters I've put into this story with all bits of me so I've I've been allowed to use the creativity in me now instead of just telling the story of Tasha of, of building all these characters up and go okay there's a bit of me in there there's a bit of my son in there you know so with the character of Leo is an absolute loose cannon um temper you know and that represents what I was like in school and in my teens and and Lainey she's she's just been dealt shit cards basically but um she's a fighter and she, she she'll keep she'll keep going for a dream and and I have another guy that has identity problems, you know, is, is sexuality. And, and I think that's a huge thing um, because, you know, I've had friends that have kept themselves back of who they truly want to be, whether that be with, you know, mental health, you know, your sexuality, your identity, you know. So he was somebody that I really wanted to explore because I've had that with, you know, identity. So, yeah, we are what we know covers a lot of, stuff with mental health but it's more to do with the fact of what's happened to them as children that's triggered that that's what I wanted to explore with that one yeah um and then my other one is completely different yeah it doesn't cover anything really to do with mental health and I think I write very much for for women um and men because I've always hung about with men like lads they've been a lot you know close friends but it's completely different um yeah it's um very very different and but it's again you know I didn't want to kind of just put myself into a box and go oh this is all I'm going to write about but obviously it's what I know even with the the one that's not about mental health it is about what I know it's based on my experiences with you know family and um and stories that my mum and my uncles have told me and stuff so everything I write I think does come from some sort of truth yeah yeah oh mate that's that's awesome yeah I like I love that the idea of putting like different parts of you into different characters, because like we're so complex as human beings. And if you tried to tell like the true story of just like one person, there's too much going on, right? You couldn't, we are That's all, it was all so those difficult with, with, with Brenda of people going, how do we tell this story? Because you've got a book there that has got hundreds of stories in it from this one girl. And it's like, obviously for a drama, you've got to have some form of structure, which I don't. I just throw that at Mark. I go, right. And then I go, yeah, structure that, mate. You know, and it's like a year on now. And he goes, oh, you're really starting to learn to be, you know, because I'll write like this happens. Oh, well, let's go back to this because that's how my mind works. Um, but yeah, that was, it's a bit of a passion project for me that um, because I'm so intrigued by human beings. Like that is something that I've always been, you know, why are we the way we are, you know, Um and, you know, when I meet people and they go, you know, I, I, I always want to say to somebody, tell me your backstory. Tell me your backstory, you know, because then I get an understanding of that person, you know, and what's your fears, what's your, I like, I like, because when you ask people those sort of questions, you actually realise we're not all that different. 
and that's 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 what I've I've learned along the way. Yeah, it's like we're all the same but different, isn't it? It's all the same. It's all the same stuff, just in a different form or a different place or a different, you know, a different outlook. But on the whole, yeah, it's all uh, it's all the yeah. same. As, as someone who works in the industry, what's your um, opinion on how mental illness, particularly bipolar, is portrayed on screen? What are your thoughts on that, mate? Um, I don't think there's enough of it. Absolutely don't. So I think there's a massive gap for mine. For anybody listening to this, um, no, um. I think in my skin, um, I'm not going to, I don't know if I'm going to say her name right, Kayla, is it Kayla? I think she, the the beauty of, of in my skin and the reason why it worked was because that was her truth. That was her story. And people are always going to relate to truth, you know, and I think there needs to be more of it. There isn't, people will kind of just throw it in because it's something that you have to throw in now. Um, but it's still very, very misunderstood. Um, I don't think I've ever watched anything where I've gone, that's accurate. Um, yeah, there isn't, there isn't enough of it. I'd like to see a lot more. Um, but again, those kind of stories, you're going out the box, you know, you're not, you're not going with a kind of, um, safe option. Do you know what I mean? Um, And people don't actually know that much about it unless they've lived it. So you've got to have those people that have lived it to be able to tell that those stories that, you know, I think Time did it brilliantly. Um, Jimmy McGovern, I mean, you know, he's amazing, but Time's shown the prison system of what a shit show it is. Um, LA Productions did it, you know, with Anthony about, you know, racism. And they've done it with the, they did it with care. They did it with help. Um, they've shown, you know, how elderly people are just not, you know, and I think that's, for me, my my gap is I need to show that part of my life. And that is the part of my life that scares me the most to tell. Um, I think it's a part of my life that I'm, I've, I've always said the mental health system have not been great, but I never want to blame the workers. I don't blame the workers. So I want to show my experience of the workers and... Um, and how they, you know, I've had people sit here on my sofa, mental health nurses cry. And she said to me, I come into this profession to help people. And I feel I go home and failing people every day. And I thought we need, we need to see this, you know, we, we need to, because for me, you know, yeah, drama is about entertaining people. Obviously you want to entertain people, but for me, I, I want to write stories that are going to make a change to people. Um, even as an actor, I've always wanted to do that. I've always wanted to go, I want to do play something that's going to make people feel something that they need to might accept something or they might watch it and it makes them cry and they've been holding on to that emotion for for 18 months and watch it oh you know they're crying laughing so I think that's that's it but I think that you know I think we've got a long way to go still I really really do and I always say that and you know the more material we can get out there the the better it's not just about posting and, you know, it, it's showing the raw ass reality of it, which a lot of people are scared to do. Yeah, definitely. I always find that when mental illness is shown on telly, like you said, they either sprinkle it in or they use it as a like a side effect of something, you know, so the bad person will also just happen to have a diagnosis. Yeah, they do do that. Yeah. Or it's really extreme, you know, like it's re- like before 
in my skin, the only thing I'd really seen bipolar on telly was Homeland, you know, uh, with like... I Carrie. did watch a tiny bit of that and apparently it was quite... A, I, I'm going to be honest, I'm not going to sit here and say I watched it. Um, I have the attention span of a goldfish, so I have to get into something within the first 20 minutes, otherwise it's switch off. Um, but my friend Rick, um, who obviously is like one of my biggest support network, you know, he's, he's got a massive understanding... He actually sent me a message when he brought that up and he said, I think it shows it accurately. Um, and I was like, oh, okay, you know, I didn't actually sit and, you know, sit and watch it. I do, that's one of the things I probably need to go and watch. But yeah, I have heard that that was shown accurately. I mean, that was his opinion. I, I'm not going to say because yeah. I haven't watched it. Yeah, I mean, she's a wonderful actress and, you know, the actual, the portrayal of her being ill was fantastic but at the same time she's a very high ranking agent in the cia who's like taking down the taliban and i was like well you know when i think with with mental illness on the telly i think and you kind of alluded to it with one of the things that you're writing there was we need to kind of or we say we i'm not doing anything towards it but um <laughs> people, people need you to um, if you want come and help <laughs> i'll have a go um, but so like for me when i was poor this is what i'm trying to say for me when i was poorly yes there was some like really really dark times there was some really really awful times in between that there was a lot of normality i was just a guy who was sick who took his kids to the park who pretended he wasn't sick who went to work and just suffered through 40 hour weeks and all that sort of stuff and that's much more realistic that's is the the day-to-day normality and in amongst that there are extreme things that happen and there are dark things or dramatic things or whatever that happen but most people who aren't very well or are living with an illness or a diagnosis most people are just kind of like in between the big stuff are getting through with a lot of just little ordinary stuff just like everyone else right and that's never shown it always has to be so extreme it always has to be so over the top you know and that's that's not a, a true representation for most people I think and you're only going to be able to get that from somebody like I say that is living it you know um and I think that's what we you know we want to we want to show with with this and it is very much a show we're filming us we're filming a sizzler for it in January and it was interesting for me last night I was just going through it and I thought you know we're, we're doing it as a visual with the voiceover and the voiceover is absolutely nothing to do what's going on with this on screen but it's not you you kind of just follow her in this day of of her of her moods her mood you know and her her, how things trigger her how waiting in a queue in in a pharmacy really triggers her off to have a you know a huge anxiety attack and she can't she can't deal with it and um you know it's just normal what I would call normal things that people take for granted you know you know people when I was teaching a few weeks ago and they said um this girl said and I thought you know what you're so right if I brush my teeth in the morning that's high functioning to me if you said that to anybody else I'd be like what brushing your teeth high functioning you know and that that was like yeah and that's what people don't see that yeah definitely yeah no we've got to take those those tiny little wins when you can sometimes right oh absolutely yeah yeah I mean it's huge sometimes for me oh my God, I've brushed my teeth and I've done sun salutations. Wow, I have absolutely smashed it today. You know, people would be like, what? (laughs) Yeah, but no, like if you stack enough small wins on top of each other, they turn into a big win though, right? So you've got to start somewhere. Start with one small one and that's that's how we build. Yeah. I did it the other morning. I think I wrote a a blog on it. Um, Didn't want to get out of bed. 
and I put one foot on the floor. And this is my mind. This was going on in my, okay, I've got one foot on the floor. Brilliant. One foot's out the bed. Okay, let's put the other one out. Yes, got two feet on the floor. Okay, let's stand up. Right, I'm stood up. Okay, let's walk into the bathroom. Let's brush teeth. No, 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 can't brush teeth. Too much, too much, too much. Okay, let's go downstairs. Okay, I'll go downstairs. Make a cup of tea. Yeah, I can make a cup of tea. And this was the process. And then coming back upstairs. Oh, washing. Oh, oh, I could take that down. It's already in the bag. I should have done it yesterday, though. Should have done it yesterday. God, I'm such a failure. I can't believe. No, no, it's okay. Let's just take the bag. And this literally an hour, two hours was my mind, my thought process of one step, one step, one step, one step, you know. And that's that is basically what I had to do to get myself out of the bed. Yeah. Did you um did you have to learn to be that way with yourself? Because you almost have to, when people talk about being kind and being kind to yourself, that's you know a big part of that, isn't it? How we talk to ourselves. And I think it would be really, it's very, very easy. It certainly was for me for a long time to focus on the, you know, I should have done that washing yesterday. I'm shit. I'm a failure. I'm this, I'm that. And that would overtake, that would derail my entire day. And it's, it's a skill to be learned, I think, to kind of be nice to yourself and let yourself off these little things that don't really matter. And they don't matter to anyone else, but they matter to us in that moment. Right. But it's hard to, anybody else, aren't you? When we're at, let's be honest about it. You'll never be harder on anybody else than what you are yourself. Yeah. Yeah, completely. Yeah. We have to learn that, that skill, right. To be, to be nice, to be kind, to do one, one thing at a time. Yeah. It's a lovely little, um, lovely little tip. Yeah. What, um, what age were you diagnosed, Tash, if you don't mind me asking? So I, I, um, I took an overdose at 14. So that was the first time I was in hospital. Um, and I always get asked that. I was like, I never knew I wanted to do it. Like it wasn't planned, you know, um somebody I've always said that somebody would have asked me at 14 do you want to die I would have been like no no um so they told me I had a severe mood disorder at 14 that's what they called it and then um I was under a psychologist for quite a while and then when I got into my teens I was partying a lot and um you know as you do and I didn't think there was anything wrong with me but my friend at the when years on she was like oh god yeah you know you always you'd get obsessed with things like Ribena ice lollies. And so I think it was always there. And then I was always very much an all or nothing type of person. I'd spend either days in bed or I'd be up and I'd be out. Um, it was actually after I had my son um, when I really crashed. Um, and that's when the process kind of went, we think, you know, it's a diagnosis. To be honest, they should have diagnosed me at 14, really. Um, and it took up until being... 22 22 I think it was properly um when they tried to put me on meds and and stuff so it, it's been it's it's been a part of my life my whole life really yeah um yeah. without the diagnosis I know a lot of people now take you know it can take up to nine years to get a diagnosis but also I think the frustrating thing is is that I was out of services for two years um, with a diagnosis of bipolar, but I'd not had an episode for two years. Went in with an overdose and instead of treating me for the bipolar, tried saying I have BPD, borderline personality, and I was really needing medication. I was quite you know, open to the fact, look, I need meds. Um, didn't give me them. And I said, if you don't give me medication, I'll go into me. I, what goes down with me when I go down, I'll go really up. If I go up, come down. 
And then in the March, obviously, I went I went into psychosis. I've never, you know, experienced that. So um, I think we need to do a lot more with obviously people getting diagnosed. But I think the diet they're giving labels out to people willy nilly, which I don't think is right. And then then changing people's diagnosis. Somebody was diabetic and they went into a hypo. You go into hospital to treat the diabetes and then see if there's anything else that needs treating. Um, so yeah, um, it's been a long. It was a long journey for me with with it through the mental health for the diagnosis. And I've got. I would say bipolar is the the tree, and then you've got the branches that come off it. So you know, then I have anxiety. I have OCD. Um, not with cleaning and stuff, but with like washing um, with my thoughts. Um, I have health anxiety. There's an actual word for it where I constantly think that there's something wrong with me. And, you know, um, yeah, so, it, you know, it's bipolar isn't, and I always say it's not a one size fits all. So I think that's probably why it's quite difficult to diagnose really. Um, yeah. People. Yeah. How do you, when people ask you what bipolar is, or, you know, how do you, how do you describe it? If, you know, like, is it a mood disorder? Is it, what, how can we put that into words so that people understand what you're, what you're dealing with here? I mean, for me, I, I've come to that conclusion. I was oh, I'm just like you, but I feel things a lot more. I, 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 I tend to believe that that's it. Um, I've got a chemical imbalance in my brain. So there's a part of my brain that doesn't function and doesn't process, um, doesn't regulate my moods and emotions as it does somebody that doesn't have that in their brain. Um, you know, obviously severe mania is, is, you know, you're in euphoria and you, you, you lose touch with reality. Um, that's more scary for people. And that's very difficult to, for people to understand that side of bipolar, I think more so than depression, because a lot of people have suffered depression. Um, and I can't say that bipolar depression is worse than clinical depression because I've, I've only ever suffered with bipolar depression. Um, obviously, you know, so it, it's, it's really difficult to, to kind of pinpoint this is what it is. But yeah, it's a mood disorder. Um, but also it's, it's your emotions and it's, it's triggers, you know, things can trigger you to go into an episode. And I think also the weather has, has, has a huge effect on, on it. Like it does anybody, you know, in the winter, people feel a bit more aching, a bit more down. So for me, that's just a lot more severe, you know, what their happiness is. You know, I'm lucky because I feel joy, like no one probably feels joy, you know? So it's, it is, it's also what I wouldn't say bipolar is what people think, seems to think it is, is that one minute you're happy, the next minute you're sad, one minute you're happy, next minute you're sad. It isn't that. Um, and also it isn't you're in mania for six months and you're in depression for six months and then you have a period of maybe normality for the next year. Every day you're battling with it, you know. It's um, it's it, you know that's the disabled line personality is like that. You know, every day you you your your moods can switch like that. But anybody I've spoke to, especially with you know, obviously bipolar UK and and the commissioning side of things now, people suffer every day. They don't just have an episode. You constantly, you know, I've got a terminal illness. At the end of the day, it's not. Um, not terminal is that the right word I don't know if that's the right word um, chronic I don't know what the right word is it's never leaving me basically I've got it I'm stuck with it um, 
but sometimes it's it you will get a lot done with it and sometimes you won't and don't give credit to the bipolar though I used to give credit like oh because I've got bipolar um I can achieve things that other people would never be able to achieve because I'll just go hell for leather and um I, st- I took that power back from from I call her Brenda don't I I took it back from Brenda and I was like, actually, you know what? It's not the bipolar. That's my personality. That's my determination. Um, even though it's very linked to creative people, as I'm sure you know, um, there's a book about it, which is fascinating. Um, may, you know, Tennessee Williams, people like that. Um, and, you know, with people with bipolar, you know, I'm sure you'll know this yourself. We suffer with things like addiction. And, you know, so which other people suffer with addiction, you know, so yeah, we have this condition that doesn't regulate our moods, um, but we have other things that other people suffer with. Do you know what I mean? Addiction, anxiety, depression, you know. Yeah, it's all the um, all the other stuff as well, isn't it? I, it I kind of great. like, yeah. I it's like to say, yeah, I, I kind of like to say about, I suppose with quite a few different mental illnesses, really, it's we often society or people who don't know about these things, they view it as, almost separate you know as like a as a madness or as a, a separate thing but what it often is is the same thoughts feelings and emotions that every human being has just times five million yeah you know <laughs> so yeah. there's not there's not like you know you're not thinking anything that no one else has ever thought you're not feeling anything that no one else has ever felt it's just on steroids right yeah That's it's on kind of, a yeah. mind on steads i think i've, I've Somebody wrote that in a in a, a guy that I know that writes lyrics. I'm sure he put something about if um something about knowledge if if knowledge is power then my brain's on steads and I thought <laughs> quite, quite accurate that um yeah I think the um the, the, that is the thing is you you do feel things a hell of a lot more um which can be so overwhelming at times like even when I'm if I'm doing well success success comes that can be very overwhelming for me um you know and that can people don't get that that it can it can and that's that's the character thing that comes in you know building your character so you can you know how to manage it knowing your triggers you know awareness for me that is my if I could have that written everywhere awareness I would and um but awareness is very uncomfortable because you have to start asking yourself questions, not just about your illness, but about you as a human being. What do I want to change? What steps do I need to make? I'm going to take a step back with that. I'm going to fall back. Building that character of, 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 of sustaining um, that strength of that inner dialogue. You know, I believe um, I'm huge on adversity at the moment. I'm really looking into that and kind of going... Um, you know, people, everybody's going through adversity or they're coming out of it or they're going to go into it. But actually, what can we look at? What's the lesson can I take from this that I can take away from it, apply it somewhere else and then go and help other people? So I kind of go now, yeah, I have this illness, but I would not be writing. I would not be teaching other people. You know, I had a woman come up to me on the course I'm a mother with a 19-year-old and she was crying in despair. She just didn't understand it. She didn't know how to help her daughter. 
a daughter was suffering with psychosis. She was like, I feel guilty because I prefer it when she's depressed, this, you know. And by the end of it, she came up to me. She was like, I've got such an understanding. You, you've given me hope. I felt like my daughter was on a death sentence. You've given me hope to know that my daughter can not only live, but live a good life. That gives you something when you're on the bones of your ass, not wanting to be here and feeling like a shit worthless person that's never going to be able to get out of it. That in that moment you go, I'm worthy of my fucking suffering. And that's a quote out of a man's search for meaning. Everybody should read that book. That's where you go, okay, I get it. Do you know what I mean? I get it. This was this is happening to me for a higher purpose for other people. Cause I do believe that, you know, yeah. make people's lives better, your life will become better. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a huge thing that's often not discussed in the recovery process from any sort of mental health episode, any sort of mental illness is doing a bit of good in the world, doing something for other people is a really important factor. It's something that comes up on this podcast a lot. You know, it helps you to do something good for other people in some ways, you know, giving that woman hope by by talking. That's incredibly oh, powerful. Say, yeah, it, I think it, the books that, you know, TV stuff, all that. I'm not going to say shite because it's not. Obviously, I love it. That, that, you know, it's hard, but I love it. That, I think, was one of the biggest... I feel like I'm emotional thinking about her because she... Honestly, she... I don't think I'll ever forget that in my life. It's one of the moments, you know, she was in utter despair. She felt like every day a daughter was going to die. You know, she didn't have no idea about it. She didn't understand it. And it was that moment. And I just was like, and I, I fell across that. I didn't even mean to end up teaching this course. I don't even know how I ended up doing it. Um, I come out of there and I just was like, oh my God, like that is, that is the, the the moment in my life, I, I think, out of everything that I'll ever do, that I'll never, ever forget that moment that that woman went home with hope. And that yeah. I, I don't think you could, for me, I don't think any award or anything in the world it, is better than being able to give somebody that, you know? I really don't. Yeah, hope's, um, it's hard to come by, you know? And it's, the, it's, it's one thing that, yeah it's important and we need it and it's vital. It's a, a beautiful gift. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, tell us about this course then, mate. What is it that you, what is it you do at the uni? Um, it's, it's actually for greater Manchester mental health. Um, the living with bipolar course. I don't know how I ended up on this either, mate, to be fair. Um, you know, that's the thing in it with life. Life happens when you make it. What is it? Life happens when you make another plan. I think I emailed them something to do with Bipolar UK. I think I was I was trying to get them to, I think, post something for Bipolar UK. And it just come up, the girl who runs it, and she was like, I'm looking for a, um, a co-facilitator. Would you be interested? We have to put the course together. So we, the course is primarily, a lot of it is is Bipolar Brenda, the 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 book, the the monologues out of the book, you know, um, my ex, my basically lived experience. And then she does kind of the scientific side of it. So we spent, I think, a year, we were about six months to a year, we was putting the course together. Uh, we taught the first one, a couple of them online, obviously because of COVID. And then that one was in the room. So basically people come, you get service users, um, nurses that want to learn more. Um, and obviously people with loved ones, people that have been newly diagnosed. Um, yeah, it, it, it's good. It's, it's not just good, it's... People need understanding with this, you know, 
not just people that are, are going through it, more so people that um, are living with people with it, you know? That's why I've never hid it from my son. I've never hid it. My son has such an understanding of it, um, more understanding than probably some doctors and nurses do, you know, with me. Um, but that course, yeah, I think it's so important. And I'm 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 really pleased to have to have been having a part of it because you know it's difficult to to get that support within the system. So the fact that they're doing that and people can come and learn and take away from it what they need um is huge. And I, I didn't realize how much I would get out of it um when I fell across it. But I have, I've got a lot out of it. Um, and we need more of it. You know, I always say this, we, we need so much more. And that's why I'm such a push to Bipolar UK. It's like, you know, we have awareness for everything, you know, cancer awareness, um, you know, different illness for the awareness things. And it's like, your mental health is the biggest thing you'll ever work on because that is what's going to affect you physically, you know, spiritually, you know, you've got to work on that mind, that inner, inner talk. Because otherwise, you know, it'll swallow your whole, you're in a chatter. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. And that's something, again, you know, it's it's about character and building that that resilience to, to go. And that's what you have to kind of teach people on that course, you know. Don't just get so attached to that illness. You know, look at it as, as a part of you and how you can bring awareness to, okay, that doesn't work for me. I quit drinking 70 days ago. Cause I was, I was quite a big, big drinker. And, um, I was like, you know what? It's not my friend. I'm going to do 90 days and then I'm going to take it from there. Just got woke up one morning. I was like, it's not helping me. Making those decisions. And I actually got offered to go on this promotion thing to put people follow my journey of this 90 day, no beer. And I, I didn't want to do it. The reason I didn't, this is the first time I've actually talk, talked about it. I didn't want to do it because I didn't want it to be about having to do it to prove to people, you know, to me, and I thought it's going to be much harder if I silently do it myself. I think I told two of my friends, I do it silently myself. It's going to be way harder because I'm not posting about it. I'm not, Oh, look at me 10 days in and did it. You know, it's not mate. those 10 days in. I felt like, I felt like I was coming off crack or something. I was literally like, this is, and Loads of, again, adversity, loads of shit things happened to me that week when I stopped drinking that would normally, I would have literally ran to the shop and gone, God, let me get a drink. So, um, and that's what you don't take credit for when you do things like that. You forget about that. Yeah. You know, to me, those, those things that you've, you've, you've done. Um, and again, that's it. You, you, like I say, you, you shit to yourself. Anybody else, like you said, oh, that's amazing. That's done it. Where I'm going. Yes quit drinking like it's huge actually because it was really affecting my fucking life yeah definitely um, and it, it goes back to the process again tash you know so it's, it's nothing about like getting to the end of 90 days and being sober it's about what you're going to learn on those 90 days it's about making exactly. a decision and backing yourself and saying i fucking got this and right. and you know and like walking that path and dealing with the stuff on the way that's where the lesson is right yeah that's, of course uh, so yeah. that's maybe what that maybe why I was to do it because also what I found is is the voice have got has got louder of the doubts the fears you know I feel like you know feeling things a lot more which probably isn't great for me but 
it's great because I'm so aware of that thought isn't real. That's an old belief. This, whereas when I was drinking, it, you know, that wasn't because I was blocking it. Um, yeah, block things, things out, blurs the lines and yeah. You know, when it's your friend and when it's not, and a good friend of me said that, you know, she said, you know, you might go somewhere for a meal or something and have a couple of drinks and stuff like that. But at the moment, again, one step in front of the other, you know, I said 90 days, if, if I get to the end of 90 days. And right now it's like, um, I'm now addicted to non-alcoholic beverages, believe it or not. <laughs> yeah. Oh, non-alcoholic beverages, there's zero alcohol in them. And I'm like, yeah. Um, the, the thought of that feeling of, of, of being in that state now really doesn't appeal to me. Yeah, yeah, so definitely. Yeah, I, I, I'm teetotal. I had to give up drinking. And um, one of the, the main things that stops me having another drink is the idea of having a hangover. I don't know how I used to have one all the time. Like, yeah, I, just... well, I was I was drinking that much. I just didn't get hangovers. <laughs> <laughs> um, but now I think I'd probably really like, yeah, it's that kind of thing, isn't it? You know, um, and the, th- it, the feeling, like thinking about the feeling of it now, it makes me feel sick, like a bit, you know. Um, why would we do it to ourselves, you know? Yeah, yeah, do you know what I mean? But I'm not going to be one of them preachy, preachy people that's like oh no it's poison don't put it into your body because you know what I might end up um having a few drinks on my birthday it's it's up you know but I don't I think I've made that conscious decision of that with that even though I am an all or nothing person um taking a few naughty habits and going I'll just have a little bit of that like I don't smoke excuse me I have a pipe but every now and then I'll buy a packet of cigarettes and this is an interesting thing. I won't continue to smoke. So I'll have maybe a packet of cigarettes that I'll have for a couple of days. And then that's it. Then I won't have any for two, three months. And these are the little things where I'm going, okay, that's where I'm getting in a bit of um, all or nothing control of not doing that yeah, every single yeah. day. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. And you don't think about that. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. It's nice to realize that in the moment, isn't it? And kind of think, okay, so I can do it with this. How can I channel that into maybe some other, yeah. some other small things? Yeah. 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 So what, um, what's the positive stuff that you use in your life? I know you're a big fan of stuff like journaling and yoga and powerlifting and all these sort of things. What's your current, um, go-tos? Cause something that comes across when I was doing a bit of research Tash, for this is, um, you come across to me as like a real searcher, you know, like you've, you've, you've tried a lot of things, right? So you kind of uh, really experimented with stuff that's going to make you, make you well. Am I right in, am I right in that? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the thing is that the, I think you mentioned this earlier, it was quite interesting. The only issue with that is, is some things become keeping myself well, become a full-time job, you know, wouldn't leave the house until I'd meditated. Um, had to have my meals at the same time. But don't get me wrong, when I'm in remission from an episode, you have to go back to that because that's how you get yourself well. Um, but yeah, it become a full-time job. Um, the powerlifting helped me massively. And I think the powerlifting has taught me a lot of discipline of, of wanting to... Sometimes I take it as a negative and I go, oh, I should have gone to the world championships. You know, my trainer said, you know, you should have been a world champion. You need to see things through. And that, that voice goes again, oh, well, I don't, 
you know, I am all or nothing. I don't really go to the gym that much. Um, I haven't been going to the gym that much because I've been writing so much. But I think you'll use different things at certain times of your life, you know, but powerlifting was huge for me. It was huge because I'm fucking scared of everything, mate. You know what I mean? Like, I'm scared of my own shadow. Um, and, you know, he he pushed me beyond what I ever thought I would be able to do. And I think that now maybe that was a put, that was a time in my life to be able to push to, to, for now meditation um, and Reiki was what really helped me when I got diagnosed um, and Kundalini yoga. And I still do that, that journaling meditation and Kundalini yoga, even if I only do 15 minutes of Kundalini yoga a day, I will do that, even if it's eleven o'clock at night. And how did that? Um, how did that come on? Kundalini come into your uh, onto your <laughs> radar? Because that's quite a that's quite an intense practice, right? Kundalini. It's um it's all like a lot of uh, a lot of energy, a lot of turbans, that sort of stuff. It's, yeah. um, it's pretty extreme from the outside looking in, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's for people that don't take drugs anymore. I think. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Genuinely think it is. Um because you feel like you're on drugs sometimes. Um, so it's, I started on the, I started with the meditation. Um, I started with the Reiki, an amazing woman called Ethel. And she really, Reiki, I still go every single week for Reiki. That is, that is part of my, my, it's like med- medication for me that, I mean, I am back on meds now, but um, Reiki, I won't miss it. Kundalini, my friend turned around to me and was like, um, is this yoga called Kundalini Yoga? And, I think you'd like it because it's a meditative yoga because I've never, I've always done yoga from being 14, but I don't stand on my head and all that. Um, so I was like, all right, I'll go, you know, fuck it. What, what's the worst that can happen? Fucking hell. And it was just this teacher, Daria, and I mean, she's a lovely, lovely, like she was who taught me. And then um, this other guy, and I, I, wrote, I think I wrote it in my book and, um, they just started dancing to this 90s rave music. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? I'm like, have they had something and not give it me? You know, um, did all this like breathing, prana work. And, and I come out and I was like, what the fuck is that? Like, wow, I feel, I feel really good. But, you know, and it's interesting because um, a guy, again, this was a funny story, actually. A business, a business guy, and he come into the class every week, stressed out of his head. And it, the first time he come, he walked out. He went fucking wrong class. He was like, I was supposed to go to Ashwanga. Oh my gosh, can't believe I got in the wrong class. Anyway, he kept coming back, and I was saying to me, mate, I was like, why does he keep coming back? I thought it was the wrong fucking class. And he come in briefcase, stressed out of his head on a Thursday. We'd go. One day when we were coming out, I ended up talking to him, both of us, and he said, I have a really high fingy job, really stressful. I thought, no shit, Sherlock. You know, you come through the door like a bull in a china shop. But he turned around, he went, I can't explain this. I don't understand it. All I know is when I come out, I've never felt like I've felt in my life when I come out. He said, it's the first time. He said, I look forward to coming because I spend the next few days in such a different place. And I just thought, wow, yeah. You know, but it's it's intense, yeah. And that's probably why I like it, especially when you I mean it's next level, mate, when you go on to the retreats. 
Yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I never went to IB for partying because I was always scared if I went, I'd die because I knew I don't know when to stop. So I thought I'll end up on a boat party and I won't come back. Um, so it was interesting the first time I actually went to IB for was to do a Kundalini yoga retreat. And yeah, that was where I kind of went. I was kind of struggling between the two lives, you know, the party in life and stuff and this this spiritual turban. But I've been lucky, all my teachers um don't aren't just really yogi yogis, you know. Siri Dharma will go and eat a burger and you know and and stuff and Siri Dharma and and the teacher Norman Norm I can never pronounce the name properly Norman in LA who I did the forty day meditations with and stuff. They they were really good teachers that just got me and and they wasn't these preachy teachers. Um, people have a thing about Kundalini Yoga that it can it can trigger you into all this. But you know I say what works for one person doesn't work for the other. I like it and. Um, you know, it's great. You don't want to dance around tonight. Is music with your eyes closed? Mate, you <laughs> 20 don't. minutes, you know? Yeah. I think quite often we go through life and we're so, um, everyone's so like repressed, isn't it? You know, everyone's got maybe a job where you can't let your full personality out or maybe you're in a, I don't know, a relationship where you can't fully be you. But to be able to find an environment where you can say, right, for an hour, I'm just going to let this stuff go. You know, some people go to football and they sing at the top of their lungs. You know, maybe some people go to a concert or, you know, there's all these different ways, isn't it? But it's all like letting out this this energy, this stuff that just sits in us and goes well, stagnant if we don't do anything. Fine. That's where it sits your energy, your kundalini energy, the energy sits at the bottom of the spine. So what it does is when you're doing these kriyas, it's moving the kundalini energy up your spine for it to anything that's blocked. Meditation and kundalini yoga can be really uncomfortable because you're going to get, shit's going to come up that you you didn't know was there, you know? Um, I was in a meditation practice a few weeks ago and I thought I was having an heart attack. My, my chest was literally and my throat. And I get that sometimes when I'm journaling. It's like a, excuse me, sound horrible. It's like vomit coming up. And I'm like, Ooh, literally physically, you know. And you have to go and sit with it and go, what is what is this? What's got And a lot of people don't want to do that. Mm. And that's why COVID, again, take the positive, try and take the positive, look for the lesson. COVID, COVID would change people because people have to sit with themselves. Yeah. And, 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 you know, and also I think people become more compassionate towards mental health because they, people are now, you know, suffering that didn't, there was no beds for me in hospital a few months ago. And the, the woman who was like watching over me um, said to me, everybody that's on that ward, she was like about only five of them are actually diagnosed. All the others are people that have literally just tried to jump off a bridge or tried from the pandemic told me something really interesting about a guy he owned a corner shop he had a breakdown with covid and she actually had to teach him how to walk again because his breakdown was that severe yeah so i think um yeah sitting with stuff and allowing things to to come up is is a huge thing and dealing with things that hold you back you know mentally you can really help yourself but it's hard you know life's hard you know let's sugarcoat it yeah, no, that's it. And, you know, we, when you can, it took me a long time to learn how to feel this stuff. I spent like decades suppressing all this stuff, you know. How so did it, you find to accept it? What was your kind of 
where was that light bulb moment where you was like, okay, this is. Yeah. I, I suppose I am. I suppose I'm still having those light bulb moments for me to, I'm a big yeah, yeah. fan of t- talking therapy. Like I was, I just, that stuff had to come out and it, it, I just had to find the space for it to come out and talk and talk and talk and get it just to get to the bottom of it. I was so lost. I was so confused. I didn't know who the fuck I was. You know, I'd just, I'd put on so many different faces for so many different people over the years. I just, I, in the middle of it, the me, the authentic me, just got lost. And it's still, I'm still working my way through those layers and working out who I am. But for me, I talked a lot of it out. Um, meditation's great for me now. At that time, it wasn't because too much stuff would come up. Like you just said, it would just rush up and I would come out of like the yoga studio or I'd come out of like, wherever I'd been. Sick, I, feel hor- I feel horrible. I feel yeah. horrible. It would trigger depressive episodes for me that yeah, would last, yeah. last for weeks. You know, it was really, really intense. Um, so now it's a useful tool, but in the moment it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't That's what I mean. You, you, it's a bit like acting, you know, and I think I wrote about this the other day. I met Stephen Graham years ago, I was only 17. And he said, when you come into your own as a person, you come into your own as an actor. And um, I've now started to look at that as in like with life, but acting is very much like life, I think. And um, it's that kind of, you know, you constantly, I believe with acting, and and (laughs) I said this when we did the Instagram live, me and Kath and Sasha, who does like part life and stuff, who took the piss out of us with a toolbox, but I always said with acting, you have a toolbox and you take out the tools at what you need for those different parts and different times that you're you're creating, whatever you're creating with that character. And I think that's a lot like with life. You'll end up with a toolbox. So in my box now, you know, I've got powerlifting, I've got meditation, journaling, writing, um, you know, that are in this toolbox. And I'll take out probably at that toolbox what I that's going to help me at this time in my life. So I, I totally agree with what you're saying there. And I think that's a, a really good way to look at it is to have those tools. And like we drink again, you know, you know when something's your friend and when it's not, if it's going to make you feel worse, you know, and yeah. make you really ill, take a step away. But if it's about personal growth and being able to, to you know, adversity that again is, you know, what can what lesson can I take from this to be able to pass on and, you know, then go, you know, go deep. But if you know you're not mentally in that place to be able to deal with it, it's like people that go and do ayahuasca, you know, some people just are not ready to go and be doing stuff like ayahuasca. Whereas some people, my yoga teacher said it took him 20 odd years to actually eventually go and do ayahuasca and he would never go and do it again. (laughs) So there you go. (laughs) There you go. He was like, I, I seen hell. I was like, yeah, I think I'll pass on that actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, and if I'm if I'm gonna see hell, I don't want to be in a like an Amazonian jungle. No, I'm exactly <laughs> that. You know what I mean? I, I don't want to be in Peru. Yeah, uh, on closer to home for hell. Yeah, yeah, if I can. Yeah, yeah. If, I always you feel come like to the house and do it. But that's yeah, it. you know that's it, isn't it? And people, I think what it is is people are so obsessed with um, getting rid of the dirt that's inside them but actually that dirt is what you know it's a bit of a cliche thing but Tupac said about a rose didn't he from a concrete you know but there's the broken petals and stuff like that people are are so obsessed with being polished and perfect and you said this earlier on before and you know as human beings I think we're all flawed but isn't that what makes us who we are and and puts us on the path of where we're, we're when you know if everything went funky dory and we was fine in life you know 
what we're going to teach, what we're going to learn, what we're going to leave behind. Oh, mate. Yeah, that's lovely. It also, it, it's those flaws that allow us to connect. You know, like I, I hid being poorly for so long because I thought it would push people away. I thought my wife would leave me. I thought they'd take my kids off me. I thought like I would have no friends. I thought like, you know, so I kept it in, kept it in. The minute I started being really more, more open, more vulnerable, the minute I started like embracing the, the cracks in me, it brought people in. You know, it didn't push people away. It did the opposite to that. You got the right people around you probably, didn't you? Yeah, that's it. That's how we connect, right? That's how we connect on a deeper level is by saying like, yeah, right, I'm flawed. This is my, this is my stuff. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about yeah, your yeah, stuff. Yeah. Let's talk about their stuff. Let's it's all like share huge, this together. Isn't it? Especially because you're, you know, you're a man, you know, and, and I think that is the thing is, is it, it is that kind of, it's more difficult for men to, to show vulnerability and to show, um, women it's not so you know for men it's like oh and I think that's really you know a huge thing when you know a a married man with children turns around and goes you know what I'm struggling I'm not okay you know the man of the house type of thing you know I'm not good you know and to do that I don't think you that's again you know taking credit of of showing your strength of being able to say that you know, to me, in out loud, people don't realise that that is such a strength. There's such a power in that. You're taking your power back by being able to, 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 you know, say I'm not okay right now. Yeah. How do we, how do we get me to, to being okay? Yeah. You know, for men, I think that is really difficult to, to do. Yeah, definitely. I suppose for me, I'm kind of, I'm now in a place where I'm looking back and I'm starting to be able to do that. Cause initially when you first open up, then it's like, right, well, how do we get some help? You're like, finally fucking admitted there's a problem. We need to do something about this problem. And it's only like when you sort of, you know, get a bit of clarity, isn't it? You can look back and say, wow, that was pretty, you know, I'm doing, I'm doing just as much therapy processing <laughs> what happened that I, that I was when I was in it. <laughs> Yeah, but when you went, I used to think when I go into, so I used to pay for private therapy. And do you ever think when you, sometimes you go into therapy with one issue and you come out with sweaty that you never realised you had. <laughs> yeah, sometimes my mouth's moving and there's a part of my brain that's going, didn't know I was going to say this today. No, <laughs> I didn't, didn't know I thought this. I, had, I used to do tapping EFT. That was great for me. I found that much, uh, really beneficial. Um, but I, stuff had come up and I'd like I don't know what the fuck I'm not bothered about that I'm bothered about that that's been upsetting me oh my god you know you know walking down Dean's Gate even though <laughs> even though I really you know I love and accept myself anyway you know tapping your head and it's like oh but it did it did help me the EFT you know that was mm. another thing that I, I took up and um and it still helps me now um if I get anxious or I need to come back to the present moment. And another technique I learned, which is really, really good, uh, that I learned from the Kundalini teacher in in, in LA, is um, now, 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 and it properly, literally brings you into the into the into the moment. And if you're in public, you know, t- top of your tongue, right? Yeah, because that um, the pineal gland, it opens it up. And it keeps it brings in that, and you do if you I do it now when I'm in a queue, and it's my head goes clear. Yeah, and I would have advised doing that to it for oh, anybody. Mate. It really does. It helps me, especially yeah. if I'm having, when I'm having tattoos or, um, like I had a filling the other day with it, an injection or you know anything that's like uncomfortable, like that you're having done. 
um, I'll do it. And it, you know, your mind, you just, I've, I've come, I'm quite clever with doing that now. That yeah. wouldn't have been years ago. Yeah. It's lovely to have those little things that are, um, they're really small and doable in the moment. So a lot of stuff when we say like, oh, this is really good for your mental health. It's sometimes it's too, either it's not applicable or it's too big. You know, when you're poorly and someone says, oh, just try this. And like you said before, it's like, mate, I can't even brush my teeth. And you want me to yeah. go fucking run a marathon. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. One of them. What's up? What's up? Will you just get out of bed? Fucking hell. Why didn't I think of that? <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah. Wow. Why didn't I think about just getting out of bed? Didn't even think of it. You know what I mean? And it's, but when you're in a low, as you know, all the tools in the world when that darkness comes over your red, everything goes out the fucking window, me included, nearly. Do you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> you know, you can laugh about it now, but at the time that wasn't funny. But um, it does, it goes out the window and then it goes back to the drawing board. One step, two step, one step, two step. And, you know, you would have been there yourself. And it's it's like you're constantly starting over with, mm. with it. You're always yeah. starting over. You're never going to peak. Yeah. No, that's it. And, you know, I think that's probably a lovely, a lovely way for us to draw a line under this chat, but you can start over as many times as you yeah, need to. Yeah, absolutely. Huh? Always, every day you can start over, every yeah. day. Oh, mate. Yeah. Tasha, I'm, I'm conscious I'm taking up a lot of your time this morning. No, mate, no it's been, fine. It's been really nice talking to mate, you, I've mate. I've enjoyed that and so much. That was lovely. Thank you for doing this. Honestly, you know, I'm, I'm a big thing with men, you know, I've got a lot of male friends that you know, that don't speak out and have, have, have started to and stuff. So I have so much respect because I know, you know, um, it's it can be more difficult and, you know, doing this uh, platform and stuff, you know, so much respect for you, mate, because it the more, you know, people speak and we get stuff out like this, the better it is for people, you know what I mean? And oh, you make mate. a change, you know what I mean? And that's and that's that's a good thing. You're using, oh. using the, the curse and turning it into a blessing. So... Wow. That's it. We can, but try. Thank you, mate. I really appreciate that. I appreciate you. And um, yeah, good luck with the writing. Good luck with everything, Tash. Thank you. No worries. Thanks, mate. Please like and subscribe. The Space Star.